And this morning, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Well, if you're sleeping, you're not now. Yeah. Book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. You know, this is um, so amazing when you really look at what the Bible has to say. God's original blueprint for the rest of the Bible. It's all here. That's what's so amazing about it. We're going to look today on God making a helpmate for man and uh, a lot of first occurrences in the Bible. Uh, and again, uh, I, I, I've always shared this. You, you don't have to park your brain in the parking lot when you come into church. I really do believe that when you go into a lot of the evolutionary ideas in college that cats ceased to be cats and all of a sudden became dogs or the whole evolutionary idea of how we all got here. And this is one of the great problems that we have in evolution is that there are no uh, transitory or transitional life forms that are out there. Now, transitory means for just a short period of time, a cat was a cat before it became a dog. Transitional means over a long period of time, something changed. Well, here's what's important. There are no living examples of, of transitional life forms. Now, you're always going to find mutations. Big horses, small horses, big dogs, small dogs. But you don't find anything in between. And this is really important because, again, this is where uh, there are people that try to couple Genesis with some type of evolution. And it's non-compatible. It will not work. Because the Bible tells us God made everything according to his design, and it was made in one day. Now, why that's important, we have to understand when we get into the symbiotic relationship between plants and animals. For instance, where a particular animal has to have this particular plant, and only will that plant nourish it so that it can continue on. Now, again, with, with evolutionary ideas... You have um, no fossilized forms. So all the fossils they found, they have never found transitory. In other words, horses, horses becoming giraffes. Nor are there any living examples. So that forces evolution into the religious sector because it's a belief. Unfortunately for them, their belief is about nothing. Where we have in the Word of God... A much better explanation of how everything got here, that God made it. And he made it from nothing. Does that support science? Yes, because we know that atoms are comprised balls of energy. And depending on how many are put together, is whether it's metal and wood or whatever it might be, that's a better explanation of how we all exist today and how we got here than by some type of lightning hitting a swamp and throw a couple billion years and here we all are. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, may you enforce every listener by your Holy Spirit to be able to defend our faith against the lies of the world. And Lord, that believing in you is not just a thought or a religion, but Lord, it's fact. 
And your facts outweigh any of the modern philosophies that come along to dispel that you are God. And so we ask you now that you would empower your word by your Holy Spirit. It was your spirit that wrote this. And so now by, the, by your Holy Spirit, cause these words to come alive and that we would remember them in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the book of Genesis. We went through Genesis chapter 1. We got to the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. And so we're going to pick it up in Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now this is interesting. This is what's called first occurrence in the Bible. This is the first time you find the word Yahweh in the Bible. Now, if we go back to Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there is the word Elohim, which speaks of a plurality of God. And it's further enforced farther on in the book of Genesis chapter 1, where it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we talked about the importance of that last week, that God desires to have a bride for his son. Now, why would that be important that we would be created in the image of God? Because there's a common likeness. Otherwise, God would be married to a giraffe or something else. But no, he made something in his nature, in his likeness. That would be us as human beings. We're going to talk more about that as we get up here a little bit farther because you're going to see an interesting parallel between Jesus Christ, the second Adam, and Adam, the first. Here is what it says. This is the history, or you might literally say the generations or the genealogy of the heavens and the earth. God had a beginning for everything. And again, that's what the book of Genesis means, the beginning. So you know what it is. He says, before there was any plant of the field, was in the earth, or before any herb in the field had grown. For the Lord God had caused, not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. And the word till here is literally to take care of it. In fact, we're going to get on that a little bit more here. But God wants us to take care of our earth. Now, does that all mean we need to be green? Well, I think we need to be greener than maybe we are. I don't think Christians should be throwing trash out the window. I don't think we should uh, let things just get into disrepair. But I believe that God created us to be keepers of the earth, to watch over our earth. I think that's good. Does that mean everybody should drive a Prius? Well, you'll put a lot more money in your pocket because of gasoline. But the point is, is this. We need to be mindful of our world. God gave us a great world to live in. Have you seen what man has done to it lately? Have you seen those commercials on television that they say in just a few more years there are going to be more plastic bottles in the ocean than fish? Have you realized and seen in the book of Revelation when we find God's judgment on the earth, the Bible says every living thing in the sea dies? Is that possible? Can you, without, let's take God out of the picture for a minute. Can you see with the way man is going, Can you see that there is a possibility of man killing every living thing in the sea? I can. Uh, You see North Korea setting off their uh, rockets 
Manning, let's say, one with a nuclear warhead and instead of hitting its desired target, goes off in the ocean. And then that kills fish. And then the, the dead fish begin to feed other dead fish. You know, they just kind of an eco-chain. And pretty soon the sea's dead. Well, the Bible says that. The Bible says in Revelation, every living thing in the sea will die. Isn't that amazing? Now, who would ever would have dreamed such a thing? But the Bible says that that's a reality. Why is that? Because we understand that man has not done a very good job taking care of this world. Now, again, there's the, unfortunately the overbearance of these things. We hear of global warming, which, by the way, friends, I believe personally is a myth. There's a book out called Dark Winter, written by a NASA scientist, and he said that we are heading for global cooling, by the way, and it has nothing to do with human beings, but it has everything to do with the sunspots on the earth. We remember as we go back, you have the great Dust Bowl of the 1930s. That was not really caused by man. The Dust Bowl was caused by man in the way he was farming, but the Dust Bowl originally was caused by the, the United States' worst drought ever, where the dust, because of the farming practices in the Midwest, was reaching New York. But you look at other mini ice ages. We remember the one about 1700, where the Thames River in England froze over. It's never done that. We understand as we go back through history, we see all kinds of erratic weather patterns. We remember Joseph in prison, was brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh said, I had a dream. And he said, listen, what you dreamed, the seven years of fat are seven years of plenty. And then we're going to have to be followed by seven years of drought and famine. Yes, see, doggone CO2 was going on back then. No, that wasn't what it was. It was just cyclic because we live in a fallen world. Well, here's the problem. We understand we are in a world that is in decomposition. We are devo, if you will. This is one of the great problems that we find in our world. It's not going to be corrected until Jesus Christ comes back and makes all things new, as the Bible says. Why is it necessary for God to restore and make all things new? We pretty much messed it up. Do you realize in that great area, Chernobyl, there in uh, western Russia, when the nuclear reactor went off, they said that's going to be contaminated ground. There was basically their San Joaquin Valley where a lot of their food was grown. They said that's going to be uninhabitable for probably three to five hundred years. Do you think it's necessary for Jesus to make all things new again? When you stop to think there is not one weapon man has ever created that he has not used... And you look at underdeveloped nations like North Korea and Iran and these other ones, full on, full speed ahead, developing nuclear weapons. Do you think they're not going to use them? They don't have anything to lose, friends. So I want to just share with you that you better be praying for, again, the only known cure we have for this world in its devo situation, and that's Jesus' return. The, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, and then there was a big judgment that came. What do we see today? Eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, party, time, life is normal, and then a big judgment comes. In those days, it was the flood. In the days ahead, it's the tribulation. 
That's why, again, I want to cause everyone as best as I can. Be ready. Jesus said, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord is going to come. You want to be ready when he comes. Be about your father's business. Why is that? Because that's what's going to carry an eternal reward. Do you really think we just exist every day on this planet? You know, I I got a couple old books. I, I, I like old things. Maybe... Never mind, I won't go there. Anyway, but I got these books on ghost towns. And, and I've got one in, uh, that, that was from Arizona. Of all these towns, hundreds of towns that were gold mining towns, and it shows pictures of people standing there, and they had all these things. And I, I look at that, and I think, that is so weird that things that were so important now today don't even matter. Don't you want your life to mean something more than just a flash in the pan or whatever? See, the Bible says that there is an eternal reward system that God has set up for you. Now, again, we can be about our own business or we can be about God's business. And when we're about God's business, God opens and closes the doors according to his will to direct us where he wants us to be. People say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's because you're not a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you would realize that your steps are divinely appointed by God. The Bible says there's a way that seems right into a man, but in the end there's destruction. Why does God say that? Because the thing is, you can live your whole life your way and it will come to nothing. And when you get old, you'll look over your life and say, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Just what Solomon said, for nothing, for nothing, all is for nothing. Why? There was no satisfaction. Mick Jagger said it well in the 60s song, I can't get no satisfaction if I tried. Why is that? Because there's something more to life than existing. And this is why people have this quest for spirituality. You know, I'm going to get in the lotus position in the middle of my living room and focus on the third eye in the middle of my forehead. Try some Clearasil for that. But I'm going to say, I'm going to just kind of, you know, zone out and kind of get in touch with my feelings. Well, your feelings won't do anything. Job basically said, if I could find my divine self, I could not save myself. And in all a man's attempts to try to find the purpose of life, he still comes up empty. The Bible says this is the blueprint for life. So he says in verse 6, But there was a mist that went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. The Bible basically says that the world was watered by a vapor canopy, kind of like a greenhouse. And this vapor canopy that surrounded the world is where we got our moisture from. In fact, when Noah was building the ark, no doubt it was the most ridiculous thing they'd ever seen because it had never rained before. The Bible tells us that there was a change, that something ruptured the vapor canopy around the earth. They don't know how many exactly how many billions of gallons of water was in the upper atmosphere, but they believe this is one of the reasons why many reptiles and things, maybe even dinosaurs, could have lived because of a different ecosystem on our planet. Imagine this, the, the, the vapor around the earth. We're, we have an even temperature, very much like probably the uh, east side of the big island of Hawaii around Hilo. You have a, almost a, you know, it's really fun to be over in Hawaii and watch the weather. It's pretty boring. High today, 82. Overnight low, 72. High today, 82. Tomorrow night, low, 72. 82, 72. 82, 72. I don't know how weathermen make it over there, but that's basically their weather. 
People don't have air conditioners in their house. They don't have heaters in their house. 82, 72, 82, 72. Sounds kind of good, doesn't it? Anyway, not different thought. But the point is, it was a vapor. In fact, in, in Hilo, it rains about every day. They get like 160 inches, depending on where you're at, 160 inches of rain a year compared to our eight inches or seven inches that we get here in southern Idaho. A completely different ecosystem. But imagine with that, there would be no need for sunblock 20 or 50 or 90 (laughs) because the sun was filtered out. A lot of different things. You know, there's a lot of organs on our bodies. They don't completely understand why we have them. Your tonsils, for instance. Many people have them out. Your appendix, for instance. There's a lot of organs on the human body that aren't, aren't used. And I, I pray our brains are not one of them, but I pray that we use those. But the thing is, is that there's, there's a, something changed in the world after the flood. Well, here it says, the world was watered by a mist. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now, I like this. God made something as wonderful and marvelous as all of us from dirt. I like that. If God can make something wonderful from dirt, what's hard for God? But a lot of people have told me, they say, well, uh, God can't do that. God can't do this. God can't do that. You, got, you know, your God's too small. You put God in a box, he's always going to be in a box. You know, faith, the Bible says, without It's impossible to please him. And so it says he scraped us up from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God breathed life into you. I like that. God breathed life into me. It's interesting if you read Ezekiel chapter 37, it says that God took Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. And God said to Ezekiel, he said, can these bones be made to live? And Ezekiel said, Lord, thou knowest. And so God said to Ezekiel, speak to the bones and tell them to come together. And there was a a rattling and a shaking. The Bible says these bones started coming together. And then God said, speak to them. And the more he spoke to them, flesh appeared, muscles appeared. And they stood up. God says he breathed life back into them. And he said, so it will be concerning my nation of Israel that has been scattered among the nations. I will bring them back in the last days into their homeland. Friends, they're there today. And there's a big showdown coming in the Middle East real soon. You see, the Middle East, Israel in particular, is God's timepiece. You want to know what's going on prophetically? Always look to Israel. Always look to Jerusalem. That is God's time clock. And one of the things that Jesus said, and again, this is what makes the Bible different than any other religious book on the face of the earth. God's prophecies are exact. It isn't, well, when the third cloud appears over the hill and the moon aligns with Mars and and, and they go, oh, well, this means blah, 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 blah. Jesus said Jerusalem will be trodden down by the time of the, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jerusalem is under Jewish control. Now, I've shared this many times, but it's such an outstanding prophecy. It's not vague like all this religious junk we hear out there. I'm probably one of the most anti-religious people you know when it comes to pure, unadulterated religion. Because a religion is man's attempt to reach God. Jesus Christ is God's reaching out to man. 
And there's a big difference. One is a religion. Oh, look what I did. I crossed the I's and I dotted the T's. And if you're doing that, you're doing it backwards. But look at all that I did. I'm Captain Shiny Buttons. I look and, and the people, I love it. They get back into the law. Well, I keep the Sabbath. I don't eat pork. I don't do this. I don't do that. Ooh, you're so spiritual. What makes you spiritual? Jesus. The Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Daddy. It's no longer religion. It's a relationship. Just as you would have with an earthly father, God wants to have that relationship with you in heaven. Why is that important? Because it isn't religion, friends. It's a heartfelt relationship. Paul says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I can't stress that enough. And when the Bible says that Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, he means exactly what he says. We are running out of time. Read Luke chapter 21. He said, the generation that sees Jerusalem come back under Jewish control is the last one. That would be you, and that would be me. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, what else do you see in the world? Have you ever seen the nuclear global countdown clock, and like we're like at uh, 11.59 right now? That's from man's ungodly standpoint. Even they're saying something is really wrong. So then what do we do? Jesus said, redeeming the time. The days are evil. See, that's where we come in to a different point. And by the way, just real quick, Jesus made that prediction, Luke chapter 21, about Jerusalem coming under Jewish control again. When he said that, it was under Roman control. What a ridiculous statement. Oh, but friends, it gets worse. In 70 AD, because of the rebellion, and I believe this is exactly what Jesus was talking about, when he fell under the weight of the cross, and he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your kids. And as he saw that day, 70 AD, when Titus, this Roman general, came in and he leveled the city of Jerusalem because they were rebellious. They burned the city and the city was completely annihilated. And it was such a heap of ruins that out of total mockery, they would only let the people of Jerusalem, people of Israel go back into their beautiful once capital city to see its heap of ruins once a year, and that was on the day Titus destroyed it. Complete mockery. So not only does the city of Jerusalem not even exist anymore, what a ridiculous prediction Jesus made that it would come under Jewish control again. And then the Bible says Israel was scattered amongst the nations. But today it exists, just like he said it would. Capital of Israel. People go, why did Trump move Jerusalem to make that the capital rather than Tel Aviv? Because it was a divine prophecy of God. Always watch people that are fulfilling God's prophecy. I think that's a good thing, by the way, friends. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, just as Jesus said it would be. And then he said, it's the last generation. You think we're running out of time? Be about your dad's business. You say, well, I don't happen to believe that. Listen, don't believe anything I'm saying. Go check the nuclear clock and see what they tell you. It's 1159. Somebody, one of these days, is going to do something real stupid. And it doesn't matter if a nuclear bomb is made in North Korea or, or some assembly plant in America. It'll wreck your day. And it will change Everything. Now, something else you want to remember. We've got a lot of other issues 
facing our world. You got the San Andreas Fault. They've been telling us that one's been going for a long time. I don't know how many people here are from California, but if you're from California, everybody knows earthquake preparedness. We all knew about that. Have a generator, drink the water in your toilet. Yeah, I mean, they had all kinds of things. And, and so th- this is real. And, and the thing is, they're not expecting like an 8-0 earthquake when San Andreas goes. They're expecting something like a 13-0. I mean, off the scale. Which then could set off the Cascadia Fault, which will wipe out Portland and, and, and Seattle. Which could then set off Yellowstone. I don't know why the Bible doesn't have American biblical prophecy, but that could be it. I don't know. But the thing is, I know this, we need to be ready. This is the blueprint. Let's read on. God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Isn't that amazing? God scraped up a ball of dirt, blew on him, and here he is. Wow. Amazing. He probably had six packs. I mean, this, he didn't have a belly button either, just to let you know. Here he was, complete, made. God breathed. God put his spirit into man. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden. And there he put man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. By the way, God cared about the way things look. I think we should too. He said, pleasant to the sight, good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and there was a tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now, this tree of knowledge of good and evil, a lot of people have asked the question, how could a good God put a bad tree in the garden? I think that's a good question. But as I shared before, there's a lot of things that animals can eat that I can't. I've seen dogs bring home all kinds of weird things. I don't even know what it is. I know it's fuzzy. And they're laying out there, licking it and chewing on it like it's beef jerky. And they think that's really good. I don't want it. I don't want to know what it is. I don't want it in my house. But they will do that. Now, here's here's what's important. Just because something God said for man not to eat doesn't mean it was not okay for other critters to eat. Could have been very nutritional for worms. I don't know. So we can't say that just because something's not good for us to eat isn't good for animals to eat. The other thing about this tree that's interesting is it may not be that the tree contained the knowledge of good and evil, but that it was the test of man for good and evil. Because we'll read on that God says you can eat of everything, just don't eat of this tree. Well, notice it says there was also the tree of life. This was to give man immortality. Do you know there's really no reason that you shouldn't live forever right now? But yet the Bible says after about 70, count every day as a blessing. If you're over 70, whatever you can do today you want to do, go do it because you may not be able to do it in a year. You see, we, 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 we age out. I, I don't know why. You know, I was looking through the, this morning with my little boy and we were looking at this ghost town book. And there's a lot of these pictures of, 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 of people, the, you know, down in Tombstone, which is part of the ghost town. It, it had the shootout, the old K Corral, and it lists everything about Earp and all these different things. And, 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 and all dead, all gone. Doesn't matter anymore. One life. 
will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is the great problem. And you can psychedelicize about God. You can say all you want to say about God, but the problem is death still faces all of us. But we shouldn't die. You know your body replicates. Do you know the body you're living in right now will not be the body you will be living in in seven years? Because by seven years, your body has replicated every cell that's in there. The problem is it's not doing it fast enough to to prevent the aging process. But the tree of life had something in it that would keep man going. But you see, when we got removed from the garden, not only did we get separated from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but we got separated from that tree of life, which the Bible says in Revelation 22, and also farther up towards the end of Revelation, we're going to be able to eat freely of forever. So that's good news. So he goes on and he tells us here. Now there was a river that went out of Eden to the water of the garden. From there it parted and became four river heads. Now, uh, you can picture this one big river breaking up into many. The name of the first was Pishon. It was the one which encompasses the whole land of Hevelah, where there is gold. And the gold that was in the land was good. Belium and onyx stones were also there. The name of the second river, Gihon, it was the one which encompasses the whole land of Cush. The name of the third is Hededekel, which is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria, and the fourth, the river Euphrates. These are ancient rivers, and after the flood, the topography of the earth changed. So these are just pictures of rivers that were once there. We, can't, we still have some river names, like the Euphrates River, which is still in existence, but probably not where it was when reading this. And the Lord God took man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And I like that. Tend and keep it. Watch over it. Make sure it's good. Um, And and by the way, when we go to heaven someday, we're not going to just be laying around on an overstuffed cloud and eating angel food cake. God's got things for us to do, and I look forward to that. The Bible, one of the things, you know, people have said, well, what are we going to do in heaven forever? I don't know, but I can't wait to get there. Do you, you ever wonder what's inside the atom? I mean, really, to really look at it? God goes, watch this, makes it big. We can see how it all works. What's beyond the stars? God's going to show us. Gee, Dad, can I take the Galactica out tonight? I don't know. I mean, God's got something for us all to do. It's going to be good. The Bible says throughout all of eternity, he's going to show us his glory. Wow, that's pretty cool. In other words, I'm not going to be sitting around again, eating angel food cake on an overstuffed cloud, waiting for eternity to go by. No, God's got many things for all of us to see and do in all of heaven. So he says, he put him in the garden to keep it and to tend it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you will surely die. I don't think that's a, a, an unreasonable request. If somebody says, hey, there's a bottle of poison in the garage, don't drink it, I'd say, yeah, sounds good to me. Now, what's amazing here, you think of all the temptations that we all have now. The porno channel, booze. Hey, the drug dealer on the corner selling us a baggie. You think of the philosophies of the world that can remove our mind from, from, from eternity to that we're just here to exist. Uh, you, you think of all the temptations. Adam only had one. 
Imagine all the things of life. If you could just do one thing, everything will go well. I think about that. Just one thing. Just one thing. Do you know how many people miss eternity because of one thing? Rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And then the young man said, all these I've done since I was young. I could just see him going, all these I've done since I was young, you know. And Jesus looked at him and he said, yeah, but one thing you lack. Imagine, one thing. If God was to look at me today, he'd go, there's like five billion things you lack. But he looked at the rich young ruler and he said, and by the way, he was rich, he was young, extremely good looking. That's what everybody wants. If you're rich, see, there's one thing to be young. Most people get rich when they get old because they've taken a year, you know, their whole life to accumulate stuff. But this guy was rich and young. Wow, that's got horsepower under the hood. Well, the thing is, Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go sell what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. The Bible says he went away sad. Now, get this. One thing you lack. One thing. I wish God would look at me and say, one thing you lack. I would be happy. I realize the closer I get to God, the more I realize there are so many things I lack. Have you ever, you know, you know, God's delivered you from a great trial in your life and, oh, thank you, Jesus. I know we become Pentecostal. We, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know and I mean? We just were really happy until three days later we have another trial. Well, where are you, God? One thing you lack. I, I just can't, I can't believe it. He had it down to one thing. One thing you lack. Why is it? Because Jesus knew this man's trust was in his bucks. It was in his money. He was rich and he was young. He said, one thing you lack, sell what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. This young, rich ruler, we don't know his name. We probably never will this side of heaven. He could have been famous throughout all of eternity because he could have been called into one of the disciples of Jesus. Sell what you have, give the money, come and follow me. Now remember, that's what Jesus said to Matthew, when he called him in to being a disciple. Matthew is sitting at the receipt of customs in the gate of the city. Everything that went in the city and came out of the city would be subject to tax. Um, We all love tax, don't we? Doesn't it make you mad to pay sales tax on a car that there's already been sales tax paid on it the first time? Mike's dirt road. Okay. The thing is, is that Matthew, when coming into his, and this is why the Romans would hire a, a, a local to be behind the counter coming into the city, because he knew the culture, he knew what they, they consumed, he knew what they liked, and so here comes a wagon full of stuff on their way to the swap meet in downtown Jerusalem, and as they're plodding along, they'd come up, come to the, you know, the cross bucks, and, 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 and Matthew would come out and look around and say, oh, you got, I, I see you got some corn here, you got some wheat, oh yeah, this looks really good, ah, it's going to be a, 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 a 25 denarii. 25 denarii, yeah, give me 25 denarii. Now the Roman government says, no matter who goes through the gate, just charge them 10 denarii. 
Whatever you else extract out of them, keep it for yourself. This is one of the problems with, with the tax collectors. And so Jesus walks by Matthew Levi, sitting there, there with his money. And I can just see anybody that's in a position like that going, is all there is to life just making money and ripping people off? And Jesus looked at him, no big sermon, no nothing. He just looked at Matthew Levi and he said, come and follow me. And Matthew Levi said he dropped everything and followed Jesus. Now, isn't that amazing? This guy was rich. He had a great job and he gave it all up to follow Jesus. And by the way, we know who Matthew is because he did that. You know, if you want to be a somebody, follow Jesus. If you want to be a nobody with all your wealth, then stay in your wealth, but you'll never be recognized by God. Bottom line. So we find here, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Told not to eat of it. Just one thing. All you got to do is one thing. Don't, just don't eat of that tree. It's bad for you. Have you noticed that about human nature? Do you agree with what the Bible says about human nature? I do. Because I find something. When something tells me to do something, I want to do the opposite. I go to a door. It says push. I will pull. It says don't touch wet paint. Guess what? Yep, it's wet. You look at the way people are. You you take unadulterated Olson nature exemplified in first and second and third graders. One toy, the room can be full of toys. One kid picks up one toy. And that's the one they all want. Never mind the brand new doll that talks and dances. No, this kid picks up something like a rock. I want that. No, I want that. No, I want that. And you hear him yelling and screaming. You go, what do you find? They took my rock. Well, play with something else. We don't want nothing else. We want that rock. You don't believe me? Enlist in the uh, first, second, third, and, and, and child care. You will find amazing things about the Olson nature. Now, I, I just really want to hand it to our Sunday school teachers. That, and, and by the way, all you parents that look at your children and say, now, when somebody picks up one toy you pick, and they pick it up, you scream, I want that. And, and then when you, when, when you get caught, you say, okay, now, now this is how you lie. Let me teach you how to lie. No, they know how to lie. You don't have to teach them. You don't have to tell them how to get, get, I I want that. No, 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 you just say, no, that's the one you want. You make them give you that one. No, they just do that. They haven't learned to be stealthy with the old sin nature. Do I agree with what God says about man, that the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things who can know it? I agree with that. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it not only in real life, I've seen it in me. So I can agree with that. Unlike the philosophy of the world that says man is basically good. And the only reason he's bad is because bad things have happened to him to make him turn bad. That's not what the Bible teaches, friends. The Bible says we're bad and we need to be changed. Now, this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you must be born again. You have to have a supernatural transformation to change you from the inside out because it's not within any of us to live righteously. Think about that for a minute. You say, I don't know why I do this. Have you ever talked to yourself? 
you're usually not too hard to find. And have you ever been driving down the road and you're I don't know why I did that. I just wish I wouldn't have done that. I don't know what's wrong with me. We have a, the Effect Radio Network. We have a song by NF. I don't know if you know who they are. They're played on secular stations as well as Christian. They are Christians. And, and one of the songs is, I hate myself. Do you know that is the number one song right now on the Effect Radio Network? I hate myself. Why? Because people relate with it. Why? Because we realize we're not what we're supposed to be. Again, we look at this, we go, what is wrong with us? We are fallen critters and we need to be restored. Notice verse 15. Then God took up, took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat, for the day you eat of it is the day you surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper compatible, uh, uh, comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature was its name. And so Adam gave names to the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, this is interesting. I don't know whether Adam named all the animals in one day or not. Or maybe when God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam knowing that out of him would come Eve and there might have been some time span. I'm not sure about that. But the one thing I, I, I do know, there was no animal that was compatible for him. Now this is where it gets really blueprinty, okay? Now notice it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And while he slept, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which God had taken from man, he made woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall surely be called woman and because she was taken out of the man. Now, you look at this. By the way, this is the first surgical operation mentioned in the Bible. It is the first way that we still practice surgery today. We generally don't keep people awake when they're they're doing some kind of surgery. We we put a sleep on them, and so this follows the, the protocol. Notice it says, cause the deep sleep to fall on Adam. And and the word actually in the original language, almost like he died. And out of his side came his bride. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, and the Roman guard threw the spear into Jesus' side. But out of that death of Jesus on the cross came his bride. Oh, the big blueprint. You see, here you find Adam going into a deep sleep. You find Jesus, because again, Jesus was looking for a bride as well. That's who you are. You're the bride of Christ, the Bible says. Isn't that great to know? You're a somebody. You didn't have to do anything to be a somebody other than simply believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Isn't that great to know? 
I didn't have to sign a pledge card, get up all my money, drive a red car, or anything else. All I had to do was receive what God had done for me and what God has done for you. And from his side came his bride. Now I think that's, there's an old Hebrew saying, not from his head bone to be above him, not from his feet to walk on her, but from his side to walk along with him. I think it's good. We need help in this world. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, the Bible tells us, when we get up into other places in the scripture. How the two become one flesh. That's God's ultimate design, is that the two become one. That's why you want to be very careful who you hook yourself to. Because when you hook yourself to somebody that is ungodly, you're going to go two different directions. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. And that's not just, friends, in marriage. That's in business or anything else. You'll have enough trouble with oftentimes Christians, let alone bringing the worldly aspect into it. You say, well, Mike, how is that? I don't know, but Jesus had Judas Iscariot, and that was one in 12, and Jesus was God. Where does that leave you and me? So we want to be careful, but don't get involved with non-believers when it comes to interpersonal or personal relationships. Why is that? They live for a different reason. Their reason, they live is for themselves. That's what the Bible says. The old sin nature is about. When you become born again, you're supposed to be about the kingdom of heaven and what's going to further the kingdom farther. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven we talk about? Well, that's to let every person know you're not a cosmic accident, that God's got something great for you in all of eternity. Don't trade a temporal world for something eternal. People say, well, I've got a lot of questions about God. I have found one thing. When you accept Christ as your Savior, most of your questions will go away because you go, oh, I get it now. You see, we don't approach God intellectually, though in the intellect of God is very logical. You see, because again, the Bible says things have a beginning and things have an end. The Bible tells us how the beginning happened. That's what we're reading. That's what the book of Genesis means, the beginning. That's how man and woman. It doesn't say that Eve evolved over periods of lots of years, but that, that she was just created by God. Now, the reason why, again, friends, that is so important is to realize there's nothing hard for God. If God made everything, made us, all the animals, trees, and everything from the dust, God can do anything for you. How is it that God could multiply the loaves and the fishes? It's because God is the master over everything. How is God can make from nothing? That's God's specialty. Many of us as Christians, our God is too small. The reason our God is too small is we don't know him. Case in point. You're in a restaurant. You take your sweetheart out to dinner. And you reach for your wallet, and it's gone. It's not there. Oh, I left it on the table at home. Does this happen to anybody else? Just me. Anyway. Oh, I know where it's at. I, oh, man. And, 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 and you're eating dinner, and you really don't enjoy it because you know you don't have any way to pay for this. 
And, and so what happens is you look across and, and here's somebody that you know really well across the room and you, you walk up and say, hey, hey, I'm here with my wife. I, I, I left my wallet at home. Can you spot me a, a, a 50? And, and as soon as I get home, I'll, I'll pay you, you know, I'll, I'll, oh, yeah, 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 not a problem. I'll give it to you. And, 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 and everything goes on and you're able to even eat dessert and enjoy it. Now, another person comes in there and says, hey, I forgot my wallet. Buddy, can you lend me 50 bucks? Uh, I don't know who you are. Who are you? Well, I'm a good guy. Just lend me 50 bucks and I'll send you the 50 bucks. How's that? No. Why? You see, there was a relationship between you and the first guy. There is no relationship between you and the second guy. The more you know a person, the more you will trust a person. If you don't know God, you won't trust God. But if you know who God is, and you remember and count his blessings, and remember how he's always been faithful, you will trust him more. Now, God allows us as Christians to go through what I call faith-growing exercises. That means that God takes us where we're at today and stretches us beyond what we're capable of doing. Why does God do that? So we'll trust him. We'll learn to trust him. Because days ahead, friends, for all of us, and even non-people that aren't Christians, you're going to come into contact with life bigger than you. That's why people want to kill themselves. That's why people say, I, I, I don't see any, any hope in doing any of this. What's the problem here? Because life is bigger than us. And if you don't have someone to go through this life with you, the Bible says, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, you'll find yourself in the bottle or in your pot, or in something else to take your mind off the futility of where you're at. I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll just go get stoned. Well, the problem is, the problem's still going to be there when you come back from wherever you've been. But when you accept Christ as your Savior, you become God's child. That's good news. And you, any of you, if you have a child, or you were once a child, and, and you realize that hey, I got something that's going to take care of me. It changes the way we look at life. And that's what the Bible is about. Look, if God made everything from the very beginning, and that's what we're reading about today, how God created the earth, and he created man, and he created woman, and he gave gave man the job of naming the animals. I heard a story one time. It says, Eve goes, why did you name that an elephant? And Adam said, because it looks like an elephant. I don't know. But the point is, is that, that... God made everything, and without God, nothing is made. Not only in this world, but in your own life. And you may regret a lot of things you've done in life, friends. In in my life, I have, even as a Christian. But the one thing I have never, ever regretted is what I did for God. And I would invite you to consider that as well. Next week, chapter 3, we get into the temptation of man. This is an interesting chapter because it unveils what's wrong with man. It, It shows the old sin nature exemplified in such a way that it's hard to believe that you could you could explain it any more clear is in 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 chapter three of Genesis. 
where God comes to Adam and says, why did you eat of the tree? And you start seeing the beginning of flimsy excuses why we do the things we do. We'll talk more about that next week. What's important today, though, is that you understand if God made it all, God knows where it's all going. And that's where our relationship with God comes in. You see, this morning, either you're living for eternity or you're living for the temporal. If you're not a Christian, this is as good as it gets. Enjoy it. If you are a Christian, this is as bad as it gets because there's a far better life awaiting us. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked the Lord into your life, I just ask you, I challenge you, see if Jesus won't do everything that he said he would do in your life. Give you a reason to live, give you a purpose to live for, and a self you can live with. You see, you need those three things. A reason to live for, what lights your fire. A self you can live with. (laughs) A lot of people hate themselves. And a faith to live by. What's your code of ethics for living every day? You need those three things. Christian or not Christian. But if you go anywhere outside of God to find the answer for those three questions, you'll always find yourself empty. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask God to come in your life and change you. So let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you to come into my life. God, I've got so many questions. And I want you to just begin to answer these questions of life in my heart. So from this day forward, I put my life into your hands. Cause me to live forever for you. I believe you died on the cross for me. Your blood covered my sins. So now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be about your business. And thank you for eternal life with you. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, welcome to God's family. Begins with a prayer. God will show you your whole life, his goodness. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. Got a couple little books, a couple of DVDs I can give you. We'll have a baptism. You can come and get baptized. Let God do what he wants to do in your life. You're going to be the one blessed. One life soon passed. Only what's done for God will last. And that's where you get a reward forever in heaven. I like that. Start living for eternity. Be about your father's business. We're running out of time. Let God bless you. Put yourself in the place where God will bless you. He will. Just say daddy. Not religion. Not hocus pocus, nomino, hocus venisco, vanilla wafers. Bet you I can beat you all in dominoes. All of you get off the lawn. It's not religion. It's a relationship. Crawl up in your daddy's lap and say, Daddy, help me do what you want me to do for you. In Jesus' name. This morning, as we close, if you need prayer, just, you got questions, you got a heartache, you, you want to thank the Lord for something, that's why we pray at the end of the service. Don't carry weight around on your shoulders. You were never met by God. Across the hall afterwards, we got coffee and donuts. You're all invited to stay and meet some forever friends. That's what I call you. And, and let God bless you and heal you and restore you and do all these new things he wants to do in you. Open your whole horizon of life.
Let him do that for you. Father, for every person listening, and Lord, in this room, may your Holy Spirit just come upon us in a way that maybe we've not known before so that we understand you made it all, you made it all for a reason so that we could be with you forever. And Lord, we see your blueprint in your word. We see how it's going to play out in the end. And Lord, we want to be about your business, God. We want to do what you want us to do. So help us. Help us. And Lord, for those that said yes to you today, in this room and listening around the world on the internet, Father, that you would do something so brand new, so wonderful, that you would change the way they see life. In Jesus' name, amen.